You're listening to the National Trust podcast. Welcome to the first episode of season three. I'm James Grasby. I'm a curator for the National Trust. And in this season, I'll be your guide through some of the Trust's amazing houses and collections. My colleague Alan Power will take you through some very special gardens. And Kate Martin will be walking you through some of the Trust's most beautiful natural landscapes. In this episode, I'm headed to Nostal Priory, an incredible palatial home close to Wakefield in West Yorkshire. And we're going to explore the fine interiors and world-class collections and get to know the people behind them, including the man known as the Shakespeare of Furniture, Thomas Chippendale. This is a tale of political ambition, of entrepreneurial spirit and of artisan craftsmanship. It's a misty and rather unseasonable day. The daffs are out, but what I've actually found here is the most elegant house. This is the closest I'm going to get to Italy in Wakefield. It's a deliciously symmetrical, cafe latte-coloured house with a triangular pediment and columns and all the things that one loves so much about classical architecture. I'm very excited to be here because inside this house are some sensational interiors, some of the most glamorous from the 18th century. I've come into a, a rather dark corridor. I'm going to go and knock on this door. I think my friend Simon's in here. Let's have a go. That sounds like Simon. Simon McCormack. James, welcome. Welcome to Nostal. Great <laughs> to see you. It's Thank you for coming to see us today. I be more thrilled to be here. This is the home of the Wynne family. They're in the textile trade, and the Wynne family came here in about 1660, and they wanted to acquire an estate. And then they decided to become big, and they needed to up themselves and grow the estate. And in order to be of high standing, you had to be fashionable. You needed to have a fashionable landed estate with fine architecture, fine interiors and, of course, fine furniture. So the old had to go and it was in with the new. <laughs> Who did they go to in order to get the most fashionable things of the period? The house was begun by uh, the fourth baronet. A baronet is actually kind of the lowest rung in the aristocracy, and he began this great big project here. He used James Payne, who was a very fashionable architect at the time, he died in 1765. His son took over, the fifth baronet, and uh, the fifth baronet really had very high ambitions. He wanted to finish his father's project in grand style. Payne, as an architect, had really ceased to be fashionable, and he wanted the newest and the latest and the most fashionable people to complete the house for him and his new wife. Who are these stars of the 1760s who he turned to? The main star was a very suave gentleman architect called Robert Adam. And Robert Adam brought with him this new neoclassical style. And Robert Adam actually ousted James Payne from any number of great house projects at that point in time. And so the house was begun again or continued in the new style. And a number of other really important artists and craftsmen got involved in the house at that point, including a chap called Thomas Chippendale. I'm going to go and introduce you to Megan Wheeler 
who is a furniture cataloguer for the Trust. She's a great expert on 18th century furniture. And at the moment, she's involved in this really amazing, very, very detailed photo shoot of all of the Chippendale furniture at Nostal. How stunning. I can't wait. Let's go. How do you do? I'm James Grasby. How do you do, Megan Wheeler? You've set up a photographic studio. Yes, we have. Give me a sense of the sort of things that you have here. Well, there's a, the most wonderful range of furniture from Chippendale's workshops here. That's what makes the collection here so special. You have the extremely fine pieces of furniture, um, right down to furniture probably made for servants' quarters or secondary bedrooms. And he did many things here, like send men to remove bedbugs and <laughs> hang wallpaper and clean things. I'm longing to have a look at some real Chippendale. Fantastic. Well, let's go to the library. <laughs> we'll see it there. Thanks. I mean, the room is, broadly speaking, a perfect cube. And books everywhere. In terms of Chippendale's involvement here, Chippendale would have done all the design work and then would have instructed a series of craftspeople in his London workshop to, to make them. Yes, that's exactly right. And this desk, for instance, this is considered to be one of his finest pieces of furniture ever made. And it is an absolutely beautiful, pristine condition, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, it's about the size of two office desks, probably, two <laughs> conventional office desks. It's all mahogany on the outside. These absolutely wonderful folio divisions, which are inside the cupboard, you can see here that the front-shaped section is mahogany, but this is actually oak. The fine work is done in mahogany. The bit that you see yes. is done in mahogany. Well, the oak is actually harder to carve in that shape in such ah. a thin board, whereas mahogany is a much tighter grain, so you can get that wonderful precision of shape. The mahogany used mainly on the piece in this house is Jamaican. It's a luxury material from the 1730s, but it's still very expensive at this point, but it becomes slightly rarer, and that's why you later on you get more veneering work. This lovely timber's got a beautiful grain, lovely figuring in it, but it's also presumably a very stable material. Yes, it is, because it's, it's quite a close-grained timber, so you get less distortion over time as the wood expands and contracts. It's also very good for carving, because it's such a tight grain, so you get the lovely crisp finish to, the, to anything carved on it. A lot of motifs... Tell me about these. We've got lion masks. Lion masks and festoons of harebells and these wonderful ovals. Just open the drawer for me. I want to see how closely it fits. It's as good as the day it was made. I mean, that is precision making. Why should people care about Thomas Chippendale today, the 300th anniversary of his birth? Well, I think the first thing that anybody can appreciate about Chippendale furniture is its beauty and its quality. Even if it doesn't necessarily appeal to the aesthetic that you like, it's very hard to walk past it and just not be struck by its beauty, really. Even the most simple pieces of furniture are just beautifully made and shout quality. I've loved furniture all my life and it's a wonder as a furniture specialist just to see things that are so beautifully made. I mean, some of the things in here you cannot imagine that they were ever trees, you know, living, growing, organic things that have sort of 
he's mastered into making them something that's just remained stable for 300 years. It's, it's miraculous, really. Thank you very much indeed. What a treat to see all these things and to meet you. I've seen and heard just how special Chippendale's furniture is, but what do visitors here at Nostal make of it? What does the name Thomas Chippendale mean to you? It means expensive furniture, wooden probably, used in the past, but still people have pieces of it today. I have known this furniture collection for a long time. I have been visiting it since I was very young, and I do love it, and I can't possibly pick out a favourite piece or a favourite room. Each room has its own character. It's just, it's just divine to me. I love it. I really do. Simon, 50,000 people or something went there working in the furniture trade in Britain in the 18th century. But there's this one chap, Thomas Chippendale, who became a style in his own right. Why? Chippendale started out as a fairly local cabinet maker from Otley, close to Leeds. He came from a family of cabinet makers and joiners. And if he'd stayed in Otley, he'd have been producing some fairly ordinary, perfectly substantial furniture for locals. He clearly had skill and drive. He decided he would head to London, which is, of course, you know, the heart of this new booming economy in Britain, because he wanted to make it big. He clearly wanted to become a high-end furniture maker. He is a great product of the 18th century, an entrepreneur, self-driven entrepreneur, who really created his own reputation and his own brand. And he did this through a really groundbreaking furniture pattern book called The Gentleman and Cabinet Maker's Director. I'm very excited to see this. You've opened this really substantial book. I suppose it's a couple of inches thick with very elegant typography on the title page. The Gentleman and Cabinet Maker's Director. This is a really swanky book to have in your house, in your library perhaps, to show your taste, your connection to the latest taste, and also perhaps for you to choose some furniture. You could choose a pattern here. You could pick some furniture to be made. Chippendale also talks about design and the principles of good design, and he links it to architecture. And what Chippendale is very skillfully doing is he's basically saying the profession of cabinet maker, particularly under me, because I'm really good, is as noble and as scientific and as skilled as that of architect. Architects were gentlemen, they commanded high fees, they were well respected. So this is Chippendale sort of trying to up the profession, but really trying to up himself. And Chippendale goes into great detail, sketches, drawings, perspective, because ostensibly it's a manual. You know, it's like a car maintenance manual. But what he's very subtly doing is, is basically saying, you know, I can do this stuff really well. I'm the master and I'm teaching all of the other furniture makers how it can be done really well. And the thing to remember is at the point that the director was made, Chippendale had not much cash. He was not established as a producer of fine furniture. This book was his vehicle to progress himself and create a brand when he had actually hardly produced any furniture at all. Very canny. What was changing in the British economy and society was that people like Chippendale, if they got venture capitalist support, and if they could advertise themselves and they took a risk, 
they could set themselves up as master craftsmen. And a master craftsman would be somebody who would design things, they'd supervise quality, they'd deal with client relationships, they'd deal with what in these days we'd call research and development, they'd supervise uh, a team who were producing things, they would also though subcontract things in. Uh, they would even, in Chippendale's case and his contemporaries, you'd buy things in that you, know, you hadn't touched a hand to or your men hadn't touched a hand to at all, and you'd sell them on as part of your brand. You'd really provide a very wide range of services. It feels very clear that Chippendale is somebody that Robert Adam recommended to people and probably recommended Chippendale to win for this project. I think that's because Chippendale was somebody who'd proved his worth as being able to design furniture extremely well and also to design furniture and interiors together and en suite. Will you show me round? I would love to. What a very pretty room we're in. This is the first floor, almost a perfect cube again. It's got the most wonderful atmosphere. There's a, a hand-painted paper. James, I'm going to introduce you to Emile de Bran. He is our lead registrar. He's also an expert on Asian art and artefacts, and he's here today to help us unpick and understand the Chinese interiors that Thomas Chippendale created for Nostal. Where are we, Emile? This is one of the two bathrooms next to the state bedroom and the state dressing room. Explain to me this Chinese influence. Well, yes. By the time that Chippendale was working here, chinoiserie already had quite a long history, really, in Britain. And the word chinoiserie means, kind of, in the Chinese style, objects that came to northern Europe from China, like porcelain and lacquer and products like tea. They were all new to Europeans and very exciting and high-tech. In, in, uh, we couldn't make porcelain and lacquer in the 17th century. But also the Chinese were seen as a very venerable ancient culture, a very civilised country. It's interesting that we were much more interested in trading with China than the Chinese were in trading with us. You know, we didn't have that much to offer, you know, a bit of woolen cloth maybe or things like that. But we wanted the porcelain, the lacquer, the tea and the silk from the Chinese. So it was a rather unequal relationship. Tell, tell me what I'm looking at in this room. Well, this is a, a wonderful example of a Chinese burden flower wallpaper, hand-painted in China. And these were exclusively made for the West, because the Chinese did have wallpaper, but it tended to be much plainer and all patterned. But the Chinese had noticed that the Europeans loved Chinese paintings, including burden flower paintings. So at some point, some clever spark must have put two and two together and thought, let's produce wallpapers for Europe using our traditional bird and flower motifs. We've got this sort of rambling, looks like almost a peony-like flower, is it a rose, with butterflies and exotic birds that look like pheasants and all sorts of things. What am I looking at? Yes, indeed, there's peonies growing lusciously up towards the top of the wallpaper, interspersed with bamboo shoots, and in a way it's a depiction of a kind of idealised Chinese garden and of course various birds strutting and hopping around. Some of the birds are actually mythical. There's a phoenix lurking amongst the foliage here somewhere and they're all in pairs because of course that's the traditional Chinese yin-yang symbolism that 
the cosmos is, you know, balanced, male and female, uh, light and dark, and so on. Everything is in pairs, so here we deliberately see pairs of birds. How did Chippendale come to be interested in chinoiserie, and, and is this a sort of paper that he would have recommended for the winds to have on their walls? Chippendale was, of course, very much a person who was aware of the latest fashions and interests at the luxury end of the market. And interestingly, you can already see it in his book, The Director. He shows little details of Chinese-type prints or pictures. So he was aware that this sort of material was being used in, in interiors. He was supplying the whole package. He was supplying not just furniture, but also furnishings, including wallpapers. And he would have been able to buy these in London because London was a thriving luxury goods market. And they appeared in London, probably brought privately from East Asia. Emil, I know that you love this place and you've done a lot of work on it. What are, what are the things that have really caught your imagination about this house and its collections? Well, I'm just so impressed by how Chippendale created this very harmonious style combining classical and Chinese decoration. And that's, he seems to have been one of the masters in sort of achieving that. You almost can't tell where the classical ends and the Chinese begins. And he's almost kind of made Chinese design part of British design. It's completely amalgamated, and that's such an amazing thing. Forgive me for bumping into you. Tell me a little bit about why you've come to Nostal Priory and what do you make of it? Well, we've come today because we're on the way to see my mum who lives in Knaresborough and we wanted to stop somewhere. We like the National Trust and we're interested in the old houses. So that's why we've not been before. And have you found some good things? All these brownish coloured wallpaper. I mean, this is really silly, but I never realised that it started off much brighter. And it's only when I read about it today that I realised that when it was put in, it would have been really bright colours. Very colourful birds, pinks and blues, on a white background. But I always thought, I always thought they must like darkish wallpaper. I never realised. And so I, I like the information here because it's very user friendly. Because I don't know much about history, and for me, this is good. I've just come down the stairs from the staterooms on the first floor down into what I think was probably one of the service rooms or an old kitchen to come and see a workshop of printing. And I think the idea is to recreate, practically recreate, some of the wallpapers that I've seen upstairs. I'm just walking into this room, which has been set out as a printing workshop. And I'm meeting Bridget. Bridget Murray, you're the visitor experience officer here. Oh, now, nice you're, to meet having, you. you're having a lot of fun here, and there are lots of children here doing beautiful things. Can I have a go? Absolutely, yeah. So, if you, this is your little workstation. If you print, I've got a you work print station. down on there, okay. and then ink up the prints with the rollers and the ink, and then place it onto the wallpaper. So it's a, it's a wooden block, it's broadly speaking about a foot square, but a, but a shape that looks like it's going to interlock when you do the re repeat of the pattern. Lovely colour, sort of earthy red. Right, I'm now going to put the first bit on my thumb and the rest on... Ooh, look. Just go over the, the block like that, make sure all the different parts of it are covered 
as evenly as possible. Before you put it down, just make sure it's in the right place like that. Yeah. Let go. Thank you. And then just press it. Just push down gently on top. Do it. Very good. And I'll peel it off. Yeah, so hold on to the paper and lift yeah. it up. One, two, three. Ooh. That's very satisfactory. Simon, we've sat down to have some tea after the most wonderful tour. I'm bowled over by this place and the stories that you draw out of it. I think there's something gripping in my mind about the idea of Nostal Priory, this ancient place, when the fifth baronet turns up, the fourth and fifth baronet, who says, we want to sweep away everything from the past and start afresh, picking up these new designers and architects to produce something new. There was great confidence in the 18th century amongst creative people. Where did that come from? I guess that was sort of the spirit of the age. You know, England, uh, Britain had emerged from civil wars, religious troubles, political upheaval, and it was really a time of for sort of uh, a society, aristocratic society, to settle. And yet, for me, there's something else about what you've just said about people wanting to reinvent things and sweep aside. The more I look at the 18th century, at all sorts of rungs of society, whether it's ambitious aristocrats, suave gentlemen architects, or up-and-coming cabinet makers, everyone's sort of quite status-anxious in the 18th century, and quite a lot of these great projects I see is that, that sort of a way in which people link their material trappings with who they think they are and what they symbolise. I'm very struck by Thomas Chippendale's rise from a local boy, son of a carpenter, who seems to have become very accomplished not only in the art and craft of making and designing, but of managing a very complex business. I think in Chippendale I really admire his drive his innovation, his ability, his capacity uh, to take risks. Our property's got a spirit of place which is about ordinary people crafting the extraordinary, and I think Thomas Chippendale is a superb example of that at Nostal. You've got some of the most beautiful furniture I think I've ever seen in this house in my time as curator. But at what cost was it? The mahogany, as, as I understand it, is now virtually extinct in the... Wild. There are very few stands of mahogany left anywhere. That I understand too that mahogany was cut by West African slaves who imported to do that work. I mean, the, the natural and social cost was significant to produce this beauty. Absolutely indeed, and I think it's just one of the examples of some of the products, the luxury products that were coming in in the 18th century. Sugar, mahogany are all the products of what we would call distinctly unfair trade today. And that's not about saying that the objects aren't still beautiful and desirable and should be valued for that, but it's also the other stories behind those things as well. You've shown me some things that I will never forget. I think that what Thomas Chippendale has enabled here, working in collaboration with the patron and those makers, things that are of enduring beauty, and what a treat to see it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. Join us in two weeks' time when we'll be hearing some rather intriguing sounds and don't forget to subscribe to the series and do give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And these podcasts are also available on our podcast hub. Check it out, nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash podcasts. I look forward to our next adventure and I do hope you'll join me.
Until then, goodbye.